February 8th, 1587. Mary, Queen of Scots, is executed on suspicion of having been involved in the Babington plot to murder her cousin, Queen Elizabeth I. Her final words were recorded to be, Your gumshit's gonna chop me fucking head off. Well, I hope you feel it to me fucking cousin and she fucking chokes. Oh, oh, hey, everyone. It's the Revisionist. I'm uh, Brian Flynn. Great. I'm Zach Powers. <laughs> Just, I'm going to skip the Mario thing. Yeah, no, that's that's totally fair. Uh, and we have a very special guest uh, joining us today. Uh, best friend of the show, uh, Jen Colic. everyone. Hi, it's snowing out. Wow. Yes. Best friend of the show. You're the yeah. number one friend. You've made it. I've been upgraded. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You have our new uh, number one friend package. Uh, which Ooh, what comes do I with, get? Uh, temporary tattoos. Peanut butter on the wall. Yes, we do have some <laughs> peanut butter on the wall of the studio. It's a uh, devastating blow for our previous best friend. Mayor Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> That's right. Our sponsor, Pete Buttigieg. Uh, <laughs> which, the the podcast, I, I, regret, I, I regret to inform you, the podcast no longer has high, high hopes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, several billionaire supporters. That's the yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, God. And... Uh, I mean, typically guests don't point out the peanut butter on the wall, but I don't think they see it. Yeah, it, we're we're recording much earlier in the day. Oh, it's um, peanut butter hour still. It's it's still <laughs> peanut butter hour. You know, it's it, it's two o'clock somewhere. Yeah, peanut butter time. Slice <laughs> up some apples. Get to dipping. Wake up um, in the morning. Smear some peanut butter on the wall. Take it off about two o'clock. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and all day long, you'll have good luck. That's the saying. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I think that peanut butter is from the time that my cat uh, stepped in the plate of apples and peanut butter I was eating and got peanut butter on her feet and tail uh, and got it on the wall. So mm-hmm. that's a fascinating tale. I just, I, the, I just look don't for want- that uh, <laughs> next week when we release our This Day in History next time. It'll be February 18th. 2018, Willow steps in some peanut butter and gets it on the wall. <laughs> I just didn't want anyone to think that I got that deep into peanut butter that I like, I'm like shooting it everywhere, you know? Is it chunky or is it smooth? Oh, always chunky. Um, <laughs> anyway. That's my motto too? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what that could possibly mean. And also... This is a podcast. Uh, yeah. This is a podcast that we do sometimes. Uh, we had to skip recently because of a confluence of uh, unfortunate events, but we're back. Yeah. Uh, and better than ever, maybe? Oh, just firing on all c- cylinders. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and on this podcast, uh, we look at a person or event from history's long tapestry, and uh, we pull that little thread out and take a closer look. And one person, <laughs> one person gives uh, the sort of true, or should we say, state and or Wikipedia sanctioned version of what happened uh, in regards to that person or event. And another person gives uh, a perhaps uh, 
a little bit cheeky, a little bit wacky version that could be all kinds of crazy banana, chunky peanut butter cuckoo. And um, yeah, as wild as you want. Paddington can be in it. You know, uh, it could be a ABBA musical, um, you know, whatever you want it to be. And, as long as it's based on those two movies. Yeah. Uh, and uh, at the end, we vote on what becomes the true history of this brilliant blue spinning marble we call the Earth going forward. All right. Um, last time we talked about, uh, we're talking about famous uh, authors. Last time we talked about good old Christopher Marlowe. And I believe uh, the actual history of Christopher Marlowe, possible guy who wrote the Shakespeare plays, but actually probably not, won. Um, and definitely actual anti-Semite. So I regret saying good ol'. Mm. Yeah. Um, At least he was maybe stabbed to death? Yeah, I mean, no, he was definitely Oh, he was definitely to stabbed to death. We, we just don't know why. why. Okay. Uh, <laughs> probably because he was a playwright. You know, uh, when I was in... Uh, England, we visited Bath. This was with a school trip. Mm-hmm. And the host said, and I have not ever actually looked this up to verify it, that it, the reason that Shakespeare got pneumonia allegedly was that he was out drunk one night and it was raining and he hid in a bush. So <laughs> this is that how is people probably died. true. Yeah. And that's how Shelley died. Yeah. Mary Shelley? She got drunk and hid in a bush? Well, Percy Shelley. Oh, Percy Shelley. That makes more sense. <laughs> Wait, I thought... Oh, I thought he, like, fell overboard on a ship. No, I think that actually was the reason that he died. Like, he fell overboard on a ship and drowned or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Mary Shelley just kept his heart in a box. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it sounds like her MO. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she was a more respectable romantic. She didn't, like, get drunk and, like, stay out in the rain. She just... Kept her dead husband's heart in a fucking box. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the the Frankenstein way, as they say. They they didn't have like a Facebook like tribute page you could keep open. (laughs) Yeah, to write on his wall. (laughs) Post an Instagram picture of his heart in a box every year, being like increasingly rotting and moldy. Still Miss you every them. day, Percy. <laughs> she gets like a giant window decal on the back of her Ford Focus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I believe this week we're talking about Edna St. Vincent Millay. Yes, indeed. Um, and Jen is going to be doing the true story. I am uh-huh. actually super excited about this. Yeah, I feel like it was a lucky snowstorm because she is one of my favorites. Yeah, uh, I mean, you have a um, like an ass load of books on uh, mm. Malay. I mean, I have two books about her, and then I have a couple of her actual books of poetry and stuff. I guess so, that qualifies as an ass load. I mean, I guess it depends. Number of books most people have about like, I mean, specific writers. One of her biographies is it a depends. fucking doorstopper too. It's huge. It depends upon the ass. A J Lo ass? No, probably not. A Pete Buttigieg ass? That'll probably do it. And I gotta tell you, we gotta get the booty judge in here to, I don't to know judge the loads of those asses. I don't know for sure, but I feel like Pete Buttigieg has a very flat ass. Oh, 100%. It's actually kind of convex. Okay. 
Anyway, I regret everything. Sorry, I just made an awful face. Was that more talking about Pete Buttigieg or the butts? Both. Yeah. Okay. Also, no, like I don't want. No one wants to hear about convex butt. <laughs> it's a very common syndrome, and the silence is actually part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's, there's like an ice bucket challenge where you dump a bucket of ice on your butt. That's not going to help it grow. <laughs> wow. Anyway. I mean, they didn't think that the ice bucket was going to help whatever that disease was. <laughs> it wasn't it was, like a one, cure. It was ALS and it was raising awareness. And three clearly did not help. No, it did not. Yeah. I don't know. It wasn't like it was called it wasn't called like the polio vaccination challenge where Salk was like, I nominate Charles Lindbergh. (laughs) (laughs) It's fair medicine has gotten much dumber over the last century. I mean, in no way do I think any of that was done by actual doctors. No, no, I know, I know. It's not their, let's not bring them into this. It's not their fault. <laughs> Fair enough. They're doing the best they can. <laughs> <laughs> Under the circumstances. Yeah. Uh, so whenever you're ready. Yeah, so um, I, um, surprise, did not actually use much Wikipedia um, for my actual history. Um, my main sources were um, my own knowledge. Um, <laughs> flex, yeah. um, earned flex. Yes, uh, poets.org, poetryfoundation.org, the Edna St. Vincent Malay Society. Um, and I just want to plug two books if you are interested in learning more about Edna St. Vincent Malay because she was really, really interesting. Um, her official biography is Savage Beauty by Nancy Milford, um, which, as I said earlier, is just a gigantic book. Um, it's also kind of dry because um, my, my understanding is that her family was involved in the writing of the book. Um, and I think they um, basically like could like preserve and so controlled access to a lot sure. of her own personal writings and stuff. It's like how the rest access to. It's like how the rest of Queen clearly made Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> yeah. So they all look pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Freddie looks like a crazy person. <laughs> Freddie Mercury's dentist had nothing had no involvement in the script. <laughs> um and then the other one is uh What Lips My Lips Have Kissed by Daniel Mark Epstein. Um that one is the one with all the fun stuff in it. Basically, it's all about her uh, love poems and all the people that she fucked. And (laughs) (laughs) that was actually the original title. Yes. Um, Well, it's um, part of the title of one of her poems, which the original title of the poem actually was like just a list of people I fucked. Um, But that wasn't. (laughs) Oh, you know, it wasn't Uh, iambic pentameter. She later rewrote it as fuck list. Yeah. There's a podcast called Dudes We Fucked, I'm pretty sure, and I yeah. wonder. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Started by Edna St. Vincent So, um, before, before I start with like, oh, she was born wherever, um, just a quick bullet pointed list of some of the, some, 
interesting stuff about her. She was, um, in my opinion, the last great romantic poet. Um, she was a feminist. She was bisexual. She was a contemporary of Robert Frost, and she was also a Pulitzer winner. Uh, so poet and playwright Edna St. Vincent Millay was born in Rockland, Maine on February 22nd. Hey, close. Um, 1892. She grew up in nearby Camden. Uh, from the age of eight, she was raised by her mother, Cora, who divorced. Uh, this was, I think I found this on poets.org. The frivolous Henry Millay. Um <laughs> Which almost certainly means he was a lazy drunk and bad with money. Yeah, no, um, that is what I remember reading on Wikipedia. Yeah, so like literally like, like the frivolous. 1900, she divorces this guy. It's 1900. Uh, yeah, I'm and she's like, of being a real goofus. Yeah, and, Ooh, and she's just I'm like, for a gallon. fuck you, I'm done. Exactly. Um, well, she wasn't, though. Yeah, no, that's... <laughs> She she was she was kind of done after that. She was just like, "All right, I'm going to I'm going to work. I'm going to get a job myself and I'm going to raise my three daughters by myself." Um and she did. They were insanely poor. Um and they lived in a really shitty part of town. Um despite this, Cora always encouraged creativity in her daughters. Um Maine, I don't know if you guys know, is heavily forested and mountainous, and Camden is directly on the coast, and the winters there are absolutely brutal. Yeah, my most um, most of my exposure to Maine is definitely uh, there are a lot of demon clowns, vampires, yeah, <laughs> reanimated pets, yeah. 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 Things of that nature. Even like when you go to like, quote unquote, the beach in Maine, it's a bunch of fucking rocks. <laughs> like that's the beach in Maine. There's like um, lobsters pulling up doing drive-bys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, so the upshot of this is that uh, Edna St. Vincent Millay grew up extremely poor um, in a house full of women fending for themselves um, in a just absolutely wild place. Um, so keep all of this in mind going forward. Um, so in 1912, at the age of 20, um, when she, when she was like much younger, she would like send poems to children's magazines and stuff. And so at the age of 20, she entered her poem Renaissance to, into the Lyric Years Poetry Contest. Um, when the anthology was published, her poem was widely considered the best submission. And when it was ultimately awarded fourth place... It created a scandal, which brought Malay a lot of publicity. The Elizabeth Warren story. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, except in this, except in this context, um, the first prize winner was like, I'm a little embarrassed because clearly this other poem was better than mine. And the second place winner offered to give her his prize money. And a clarification. I also like Birdie. Don't yell at me on Twitter because I also don't check it. <laughs> tweet everything at mike bloomberg uh yeah yeah Twitter. yeah Joseph and robinette biden open for your <laughs> i uh i just want to say i i don't like bernie because fuck all of you <laughs> and i don't have twitter so get fucked <laughs> so anyway um this poem, uh, Renaissance, it's one of her most famous poems. It She wrote it when she was 20, again. Um, it describes a life-altering spiritual awakening, 
and she submitted it under the name E. Vincent Millay. Um, I think partly because her family had always called her Vincent, but also probably partly because it was fucking 1912, you guys. Um, So readers and critics all assumed the author was both older and male. And in a note to the editor, another poet in the book, Arthur Fick, who would become her lifelong friend, surmised, no sweet young thing of 20 ever ended up home where this one ends. It takes a brawny male of 45 to do that. <laughs> this poem's got balls, is exactly. what I'm saying. Exactly. Actual testicles. <laughs> like truck nuts, except on a poem. To which Malay responded, I simply will not be a brawny male. I cling to my femininity. No thank you, Arthur Fick. You know what rhymes with Fick? What? Tick. <laughs> the Tick, the web series uh, started, oh, the, yeah, of course, uh, Patrick I mean, Warburton. I was going to say prick, but you know, whatever. Click, um, the, the movie with Adam Sandler. Oh, yes. That's exactly what I meant. Mm-hmm. Wait, what? Uh, where he has a magic remote that Christopher Walken gives him that, like, it changes his life or some shit. I don't know. When with, when did that come out? Oh, like the 90s? Know, the 2000s. The 2000s. They were a Oh, yeah, early time, 2000s. Man. Christopher Walken, I think Christopher Walken bequeaths him with the God controller. <laughs> so Christopher Walken is God? Uh, he might be the devil or just <laughs> fate. He's either the God, the devil, or fate. The God. <laughs> Two of those. Hey, man. Aren't we all? I mean, two of those make much more sense than the other. Um, okay, so, um, so she got a lot of um, she got a lot of publicity around the lyric year controversy. Um, and wealthy arts patron Caroline B. Dow uh, soon after heard Malay reciting her poetry and playing the piano at the Whitehall Inn in Camden, Maine. Uh, she was so impressed with Malay's performance that she offered to pay for her education at Vassar College. Um, this is like the only way she ever could have gone to college. So it was kind of incredible. So at Vassar, um, she continued to write poetry. She became involved in the theater. She was in school plays. She was the editor of the school literary magazine. Um, she also had lots of girlfriends. And she was kind of an asshole because she would like play them against one another. Okay. Yeah, she <laughs> she she was kind of an asshole um, and like a very notorious flirt. Um, and she got in trouble for breaking school rules a fair amount. She was almost not allowed to graduate because right before graduation she was caught off campus. Wait, that's it. That's a thing. Um, and I don't, I don't remember the specific context of it, but she was like, I think caught off campus with like someone she maybe shouldn't have been with. Um, and the school principal, like, or like the dean or whoever the fuck, um, like intervened at the last minute. Yeah. And was basically like, she's probably the next Shelly. Like, let's just let her graduate. (laughs) 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 Like, it's just fine. Classic Um, Harry Potter shenanigans. I know. Right. (laughs) Um, So in 1917, which is the year she graduated college, uh, she published her first book of poetry. Um, And she also, at the request of Vassar's drama department, wrote her first uh, verse play, The Lamp and the Bell, which is a work about love between women. Uh, After graduating, she went straight to New York City and uh, moved to the village. 
um, where she actually lived with her sister Norma um, in a nine-foot-wide attic, which sounds exactly right. <laughs> Jesus. And um, she published a bunch of poems in um, like Vanity Fair and in the Forum. Uh, she wrote short stories and satire under the pen name Nancy Boyd. And she and her sister acted with the Provincetown Players mm-hmm. in, um, it says, in the group's early days. Uh, which I guess is at the same time. Um, she. Um, sorry, do you mind if I? Oh no, go for it. Because I'm a big fan of the Provincetown players. Because uh, like that's Susan Glassbell, um, prominent like modern American playwright um, Eugene O'Neill. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of these big fuckers uh, in, in the theater world. You know what's really funny in all of the um, sources that I was looking at. They're they're like name dropping like Witter Binner and like Edmund Wilson and Floyd Dell and Susan Witter Binner Chicken Dinner. Yeah. And like no one mentions Eugene O'Neill. God damn it. It was the earnestness. Just the joy, the like the spark in Zach's eyes. That really made that. He looks me. very satisfied right now. I <laughs> mean, me too. Smoking a cigarette. Smoking. Uh. So it was during this time, um, their, their early years living in the village, um, that Malay also wrote an anti-war play, which Norma started. And remember, this was like around the time of World War I. Mm. So put a pin in that and we'll come back to it. Um so Malay spent the early 1920s cultivating her lyrical works, which by 1923 included four volumes. Uh, she published A Few Figs from Thistles in 1920, which drew attention for its controversial depictions of female sexuality and feminism. In 1923, she was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for The Ballad of the Harp Weaver. Uh, Harriet Monroe, like during this time, Harriet Monroe, um, who was the founder and editor of Poetry Magazine, uh, wrote of Malay how neatly she upsets the carefully built walls of convention which men have set up around their ideal woman. She also uh, suggested that Malay might perhaps be the greatest woman poet since Sappho. Uh, in addition to publishing three plays in verse, Malay also wrote the libretto of one of the few American grand operas called The King's Henchman. Uh, that wasn't until 1927. I don't know why I put that there. Um, during this time, she also had lots of affairs with men and women. Refusing the marriage proposals of three of her literary contemporaries, uh, Malay married Eugene Bossavin. I think that's how you say his name. He's not really important. In July of 1923. Um, the 43-year-old son of a Dutch newspaper owner, Bossevin was a businessman with no literary pretensions, which is exactly what she needed. Um, so he was apparently uh, handsome, robust, and sanguine. He was robust a and sanguine. I know, right? Hello, what a combination. Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> they say handsome, robust, and sanguine choose two, but I guess she really lucked out. <laughs> he he had the whole package. Um plus his wife, his first wife was dead. Um he was a widower. Um he had once been married to feminist Inez Milholland. 
And he did not expect uh, domesticity from Malay, which he was probably the only fucking one who didn't. And that's why she married him. I mean, he was very sanguine. Well, and that's the thing. Like it, uh, yeah. She could have. She don't forget his life. robustness. Yes, exactly. He was he was uh, robust in his uh, desire to support Malay's own career. Yes. Um, <laughs> if she if she had married like one of the editors that was like fighting over her, they probably would have uh, tried to destroy her career and turn her into a housewife. Mm. So. Um, so this was ideal. Um, he gave up his own pursuits to manage Malay's literary career, setting up the readings and public appearances for which Malay grew famous. They were together for 26 years. Um, and by the way, like she, her, um, her public readings were kind of legendary. She was this very petite woman who had like wild long red hair and she was a very um she was obviously very like theatrical in her delivery in her readings and like she had a very commanding presence um sorry i wanted to see how handsome this fool was uh not super handsome i mean he definitely looks robust definitely looks robust yeah not super handsome okay so it was actually choose two yeah. They were they were lying. Yeah. I mean, hey, I'd be okay with it. If he brought me breakfast in bed every day while I worked on my poetry, I would be fine with it. Um yeah. so Malay suffered from intestinal ailments all her life, and in fact her husband took her to the hospital for emergency surgery on their wedding day. Uh, this was also around the time that she had been awarded the Pulitzer, um, and she joked, if I die now, at least I'll be immortal. Hmm. Uh, yeah. For the disillusioned post-war, and by this we mean, of course, post-World War One youth who considered her their spokesperson for women's rights and social equality, Malay represented the rebellious spirit of their generation. I think this is from um I think this is from the uh the Edda St. Vincent Malay like society. Mm-hmm. Um though she favored traditional poetic forms like lyrics and sonnets, she boldly reversed conventional gender roles in poetry, empowering the female lover instead of the male suitor, and set a new shocking precedent by acknowledging female sexuality as a viable literary subject. Remember, women only gained the right to vote in 1920. So this is like big shit. Um, so in 1920, are you laughing at big shit? Yeah, I'm laughing at big shit. <laughs> it's just, it's a big deal. No, like no one is, else was, no one else was still like, everyone else was like, are women too stupid and emotional to vote? Can we trust them? And she's just like owning everyone basically okay so in 1925 um, Malay and her husband bought an abandoned berry farm in Austerlitz New York which is a couple of hours <laughs> north of the city uh, her fans were really surprised because they thought of her as like one of them as like this bohemian of Greenwich Village um, but if you remember her childhood like she 
she didn't really want to be in the city. Um, she needed quiet to write, and she really missed the outdoors. Um, so they fixed the place up. They named it Steepletop, and Malay wrote eight more books and the opera that I mentioned earlier um, at Steepletop. She was totally in her element. She was surrounded by nature. She gardened. She collected and pressed wildflowers, and she kept a list of all the birds that she saw. I, I just she had was a- like totally into it. I just had a thing where I'm like, it's too bad houses don't have names anymore. I and then it. the thought that immediately followed was like, I'm never going to own a house. What kind of a shit? <laughs> no, our apartment has a name, though. Um, yes. We we decided to move in together when we were in Reykjavik. So all of our apartments, we call the Longhouse. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. But not a it. name like, like, like Craig or something. Yeah, fuck that. First of all, fuck Craig. Like, Craig, if you're listening, turn this off. We don't want you. (laughs) I guess that's also not a house name. (laughs) That in reference to Daniel Craig. (laughs) Get out of here, Daniel Craig. Actually, Daniel Craig is okay. Yeah. Craig Robinson is okay. Yeah. No, it's more like uh, a Harry and the Henderson situation where this podcast is preventing him from making the next Knives Out sequel. And it's like, get out of here. We don't want you. Go back to Ryan Johnson. Oh, no. Oh, a Harry and the Hendersons. You know, that classic, that archetype. Yeah, that archetype. That is, you know, Sasquatch living with a family. I think the thing where you yell at an animal to make it go away when you actually love it is, for most people, definitely a Harry and the Hendersons. Really? Okay. okay. Yeah. I Maybe I'm out of touch. I don't know. I don't, I've never seen Harry and the Hendersons, but I still know what he's talking about, so he might be right. Okay. Okay. It, it's, it's definitely a cultural touchstone. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't go that far. Also, I think I think there's some middle ground. <laughs> um, anyway, so I, I definitely tried to like um, get a little of her personality in here. Also, so um, I found a uh, an excerpt from her garden diary. Uh, did all my weeding without a stitch and got a marvelous tan. Sorry, mm. She's like working in the garden naked, basically, which I think is ju- you. You oh, can't do that. Stitch, in, yeah, like you can't do that in the village. Yeah, this is exactly no. her point. Anyway, um, there was also um, something else I found on the society website. Um, Malay's most private domain was her small library at the top of the stairs, where she wrote and consulted the hundreds of research books assembled there, including a classical encyclopedia and a huge Oxford dictionary mounted on a wooden stand. Sploosh. <laughs> Copyright Archer. <laughs> the walls were lined with poetry collections in English, Italian, French, German, uh, Latin, and Greek, and books of fiction, nonfiction, and poetry, many personally inscribed by the authors. Uh, on a rafter in the center of the room, a hand painted wooden sign demanded silence. So this is this is kind of the place where she did most of most of her work and where she spent most of, like this is the place that she was happiest in her life. Um, and again, one thing I want to point out, um, her husband really did take care of everything. He took care of the whole house. He did all the cooking. 
he literally would bring her breakfast in bed while she was like writing. Um, and the thing I think that, that I kind of take away from that is like the biographies of her, where you see this stuff mentioned, it's just like, Oh, he's so devoted. He's so wonderful. But that was the reality for most artists and writers throughout history. Um, that, that like she basically found a secretary and then married him. So she didn't have to pay him. And that was exactly the thing that male artists and writers did throughout history. Like they got married, so they didn't have to pay a housekeeper and none of that domestic work that enabled them to do their artistic work is like ever acknowledged. Um, and I think the only reason it's acknowledged here is because the genders are reversed. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to, I just wanted sure, to point I, that out and bring uh, the party did, down a little bit and make you guys frown thoughtfully at me for a well, second. <laughs> it, I, that's, I think definitely true. Um, I was still having like a fond memory of, do you guys remember John Carroll Lynch's character in Fargo? Uh, I had flashbacks to that character when talking about Eugene, and he was definitely robust and sanguine in that film, I think. Oh, um, is, that, um, is that Marge's husband? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure, like, yes. obviously yes. your description was very yes. mercenary, but I think there's a good chance that they also cared deeply about each other beyond just having a no i like she like definitely did um yeah and you know you can see that like it's especially obvious like after he dies like she's basically adrift she doesn't Mm. you know but it's also that um She's also kind of helpless in a way because uh, mm-hmm. she depended on him for everything. I see. Um, so it's it's a little bit of both. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, he was probably awesome. But. Okay, so by the late 1930s, um, Malay's physical health was in decline. Um, and keep in mind, she was only in her early 40s. Um Partly because of uh, she had an unfortunate accident, uh, which is not described anywhere that I saw um, in 1936 that had left her in severe pain, um, which she relieved with regular and increasingly addictive doses of morphine. Hmm. So this is where things get fun. Um, And by fun, I mean awful. So in 1940, as war approached in Europe, she became extremely pro-war and published a hastily written book of quote-unquote propaganda poems um, that alienated even her most supportive critics. And this is like one of the things that... It's one of the only things that seems very out of character for her to me. Um, but I like I can totally understand. Like she was very anti-war around World War One, mm-hmm. and then she was very very pro-war during World War Two. And it's like, well, very like, different situation. Yeah, the yeah, circumstances like, are pretty wildly was different. Insanely pointless. Yeah, and it's. But at the same time, like, there were a lot of dedicated pacifists who took a lot of shit for it during World War II. And it's, I mean, to me, it it may be because she was so, she was so determined to go her own way every, every, in like every other aspect of her life that it just, it feels to me a little bit like she's, she's just doing the easy thing. Um, she's doing like the popular thing and 
because she wasn't um aside from her feminism like she wasn't super political otherwise Mm -hmm. she um for instance like around world war one when she was living in the village like she was friends with a lot of people who were socialists and she kind of flirted with the idea because of the aspect of equality Mm -hmm. but she never became like a socialist or a communist herself so she's very um like aside from her aside from her feminism which was of course very white (laughs) um she she has this reputation as like a very controversial and very um iconoclastic very stubborn person who is like so ahead of her time but i don't know there's something about like her writing a book of propaganda poetry that just creeps me out and is just like uh there's uh, okay not always like she's not she's not just the one thing like she did some some stuff that i am not crazy about also yeah but there was also like a quote i was reading doing like my background for the alternate history that was like I mean, paraphrasing, like, uh, she got more shit for supporting democracy than Ezra Pound got for supporting fascism uh, from, like... That's completely true. poetry community. Yeah, no, that's... I mean, that's completely true. Um, Yeah, and I think there... I think there are definitely layers of other politics on that. (laughs) Um, Uh, In terms of political stances you could have in the 1930s being for fighting hitler is not the worst one by any stretch of the imagination like it's definitely not but the her she was so dedicated to her art and to making a certain kind of art and to being so uncompromising with that that it's not it's not so much to me like Oh, that she was, like, anti-fascist. Like, of course, that's fine. But, like, the way that she, like, basically published a book of, like, propaganda. Like, to me, that's way creepy. Um, And she had, like, um, she took commissions from, like, the War Department or something so during that time. Like, if if she was largely unable to live by herself and also addicted to morphine do you suspect it was like a cash grab almost i don't think so um it it might have been um i don't really yeah i mean i don't have um i don't have enough information about like what her finances were like at that period of her life um, to, to say, but yeah, it's just, it's something that does not, doesn't sit well with me. Hmm. Um, sure. But I mean, uh, also going back, I, I, just, I love the understatement of being an anti-fascist is fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's not, that's not the, that's not the right, thing I have an issue, issue with. No, yeah. I know. It's um, like- yeah, but anyway, um, so so we're in the 1940s. Um, so over the rest of this decade, um, several people close to her died, including her sister Kathleen, 
um, her beloved editor, Jean Saxton, and her dear friend, Arthur Fick, who at first thought she was a dude. Um, she ended up in the hospital for, quote, mental and emotional exhaustion. Um, and then in 1949, uh, her husband was diagnosed with lung cancer and died suddenly after surgery in Boston. So in in the span of like less than 10 years, four people very close to her, including her husband, die. Um, she is totally devastated. She decided to keep living at Steepletop alone um, to try to work through her grief. She refused to see visitors and she unplugged the phone because she missed hearing his voice when he answered a call. Um, so Malay found life without her husband difficult and lonely. But her notebooks show that after several months of grieving, she began to move towards rebuilding her life and continuing to live on her own. But uh, about a year after her husband's death, she um, well, she had, she had started working on a new book of poems. Um, but in October of 1950, um, after an evening at home proofing Latin poetry translations. Uh, and possibly taking morphine or drinking, uh, she slipped and fell down the stairs to her death. She was 58. Um, and her sister Norma actually had the book she was working on published uh, after her death. Mm. Um, and that is the story of Edna St. Vincent Millay. All yeah. right. Uh, that... Uh brings us to Brian for the alternate. All right. Um, so uh, for the alternate, our story, uh, it picks up in uh, 1912 um, after, uh, how did you pronounce it? Renaissance? Renaissance? Renaissance. Renaissance. I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. There was something I s- read online that was like, oh, it's just an alternate spelling of re- Renaissance, but it, oh, it might not be. look like it's pronounced like that at all. Um, it's a dumb word. Uh, English <laughs> is a dumb language. Um, anywho, um, so that poem is published by the Lyric Year in their uh, their annual contest, and it wins uh, fourth place, just like my man Joey Biden. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> nope, not at all. Let me tell you, sometimes the best way to do something is to not do anything. Joe Biden. Um, oh my God. <laughs> um. Is so, that an endorsement or a criticism? I can't even tell. Um, it's uh, <laughs> I like to consider it satire. Uh, God damn it. <laughs> well, you're not a boomer, so you I, can't I possibly not, be I fucking serious. I am not serious. voting for Joe Biden yeah. in the primary. No. Anyway. Um, I feel like I have heard, I have not watched The Crown, but something <laughs> I heard recently is that there's one scene every season where whoever's playing the queen is like, sometimes the best thing a queen can do is nothing at all. And it's just like constantly about how Queen Elizabeth is like, I ain't getting involved in that shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, and I think like traditionally and culturally, like that is how the monarchy now is supposed to operate. Like she's not supposed to take a public stance on most political issues. Yeah, I, 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 it's just a strange thing for a television show. For every season, the theme is like, "Don't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't get involved." No conflict, please. Um, so there's a there's a large public kerfuffle because uh, 
uh, everyone is like, this poem really should have should have won this shit. Um, what the fuck? Um, and this sort of publicly shames um, the the lyric year as a publication. And uh, this is where the trouble really begins. Um, because the lyric year, um, like the entire uh, poetry community at this time in American history, is deeply mobbed up. Um, okay. <laughs> they run the poetry racket, basically. So all of the poetry magazines, all the chapbooks. The um, way you said the trouble made me think you were going to tie this to the IRA somehow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Not yet. Let's see where I take this. Uh, uh, there's, uh, yeah, the mob controls poetry magazines, chapbooks, uh, even going so far as to uh, control the U.S. Poet Laureate at the time, Nico Two Legs de Rossi. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I just realized I nicknamed him Two Legs, which is just like... <laughs> a normal yeah. number of legs. The traditional number. <laughs> for humans. Uh, <laughs> um, so, and then that, that brings us to the question, who is the power behind the lyric year? Uh, well, if you rearrange the letters in the title... You get Harry T. Celery, uh, the the mafioso behind <laughs> Lyric Year. Harry as in hirsute, not short for Harold. Um, he was uh, had hair in all the places. Um, <laughs> what, what kind of places? Uh, his face, uh, chest, you know. Um, all the all the places you'd expect an Italian person. So much like two legs, it's just that he had hair where people normally have hair. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're getting okay. it. You're getting it. You're picking it up. <laughs> all of the mobs. This mob's thing was giving nicknames that were normal things that apply to most people. Yeah. So they Jimmy were really bad at giving he nicknames. Says everything exactly one time. Oh my god. I think that's a joke from something else. Um. Anyway, so uh. Mr. Celery. It's a Mr. Show joke. There's a mobster who refuses to repeat himself when someone asks oh, him to. Oh, God damn it. That's right. Okay. Um, so, Mr. Celery puts a hit out on uh, Edna St. Vincent Millay. Um, and so the, the first the first hitter, uh, Jimmy the Chin. Wait, why did they put a hit out on her? Uh, for like... Because she embarrassed them? Yeah. Because basically. they didn't know that her poem was better than everyone else's. Yeah, exactly. Cuz I mean they're supposed to be the poetry guys. Like That's true. Okay. Um uh so Jimmy the Chin, the first the first hitter, uh pulls up on her outside uh, outside a Mediterranean restaurant she's eating at. Um and like like he's coming up behind her, uh but she sees his reflection in uh, a piece of polished brass. Jimmy yes. the Chin, so named because he had a chin. Yeah. <laughs> of normal shape and size. Uh, <laughs> I think there's one more. Okay, there's one more nickname in here. That, okay. Um, so uh, she sees him coming up on her in a piece of polished brass. So um, just like on instinct, she grabs a fig from a passing uh, a passing server and uh, throws it, and it goes like right down the chin's throat, uh, and he he chokes to death. Um, and that's uh, she would later write uh, the poem First Figs," 
which appears in a few figs from Thistles about the incident. Mm. Uh, <laughs> this is when she uh, got the nickname One Shot Malay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then the so the second the second hitter, uh, Tony Tarantula, um, finds because a, he had a pet tarantula. Uh, sure, yeah, or he just liked. To them. be fair, that is not a thing most home humans do. Mm-hmm. So that's right. Um, that was actually just his family name, also. Um, oh, I see. It's <laughs> not a nickname. His last name was literally Tarantula. Yeah. No, uh, his nickname it's pronounced was Tarantella. <laughs> Tarantella. Thank you. Sorry. Um, so he finds a uh, Malay uh, feeding birds uh, at a park. Um, again, coming up on him, coming up on her, uh, and she dumps her extra breadcrumbs on him, and he's killed by a hungry pack of swans. Um, oh, the yeah. Home Alone 2 trick. Um, I don't know. what This definitely doesn't go into Home Alone territory in 30 seconds. In Home Alone 2, at the end, the bird lady throws seed on oh, the wet bandits. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Motherfucker. And this is how they are defeated. Uh, We'll, we'll get to that. Um, no, we won't. <laughs> I think we just did. <laughs> um, and then um, writes the poem Wild Swans commemorating the incident. Um, so now uh, Harry Celery is mad. Um, and uh, that's when a crew of freelancers, two guys named uh, Harry Lime and uh, Marv Merchants, uh, come into the picture. Harry uh, Lime is just the name of the third man guy. I mean, it's also the name of one of the two wet bandits. Uh, <laughs> oh, right. He's named after. I forgot that he was named after. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, I found this on the Home Alone wiki, by the way, yeah. which is a thing that exists. We um, hang out in very different places on the internet. <laughs> um, to be fair, I don't hang out there. I just Googled it. <laughs> like... Um, so it is uh, your homepage. We all know it's your homepage when you open it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's the link in your aim away message. (laughs) Yeah. With a fucking dashboard lyric, whatever. Um, so, uh, Edna St. Vincent Malay is home, uh, by herself. Um, (laughs) in Austerlitz, uh, New York. Um, and she sees the two wet bandits coming up on her. So she has enough time to rig her house with a, a series of booby traps. Um, and so the first one is the wet bandits open the door and a bag of, uh, a bag of tools uh, that have been balanced above the doorframe falls on them. And then their heads are burned with a makeshift flamethrower. Um and after that, uh, they're about to chase Malay up the stairs. They dodge two flying paint cans, uh, and then they're both hit by a giant lead pipe. Uh, and as so this on- is, again, Home Alone 2 specific. Yes. Uh, the one I prefer. Um, <laughs> and so as they're lying on the ground, uh, Malay cuts the rope ha- holding the lead pipe above them, and it hits them one more time. Now, you might be thinking, that's enough to kill a man. 
Uh, well, you are correct. They are both dead. <laughs> really, and, well, and they this... were dead when the pipe hit them the first time. Um, and Enda gets a new nickname. Yes. Lead Pipe Malay. And yeah. uh, St. Vincent Kevin McAllister Malay. <laughs> um, and so um, she uh, buries the bodies. Um, and then... Uh, she, yeah, falls down the stairs and dies. <laughs> oh. I know. I, I didn't what have an ending. ending. I can cut that. Okay. Cut that. No, 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 no. I, let's, that's, there you go. I think it's good. I mean, how do you keep living after that? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Not even like, not even like, and then realizing nope. what she's done, she's overcome with remorse and flings herself down the stairs. No, I don't want to. In the I don't, same location that she killed these men. I, I don't even want to discuss it. I think we move on to plugs as fast as possible. No rationalization. Coincidentally, she fell down the stairs. <laughs> so, um,. Life is random. Life is chaos. This is what happened. <laughs> Listeners. Zach uh, is not even smiling. Uh, well, because he's realizing the capriciousness of life. Yeah. I mean, it's unfair to even say capriciousness, but life regards us not at all. Um, anyway, uh, listeners, uh, did you know you could write us a letter? Uh, leave us a comment at revisionistpodcast.com or on send us alternate endings to Brian's alternate history <laughs> at revisionistpodcast.com just... yeah or revisionistpodcast at gmail.com uh, <laughs> or uh, on uh, Twitter or Instagram um, also um, I typically put in uh, a little pre-recorded thing about the Patreon uh, but I want to say right now that I've recently redesigned the uh, the Patreon support tiers um, with some new rewards and uh, basically just streamlining it so it's easier and more manageable to support the show. Uh, so if you can, that would be great. Um, and if not, don't worry about it. Uh, it's cool. Um, <laughs> anyway... Uh, yeah, write a review also on iTunes. Oh, yes. So, uh, yeah, review on iTunes is uh, very helpful. And you uh, don't have to pay money for that thing, that part. Yes. So, you know, go yeah. for it. Um, Zach, did you want to plug anything? Uh, I'll just plug once again the uh, Little Women uh, Modern Audio Podcast that is being... Directed and produced and all that good stuff by former guest Shannon Camp, in which I play the role of Laurie. So you can find that wherever podcast, wherever you got this, you can also get that. Perfect. Um, Jen, do you want to? Yeah, I think I'm going to start a new tradition or continue my previous tradition of um, plugging food items every time I'm on the show. Okay. <laughs> um, so today I would like to plug uh, these Sour Patch Kids that I got from Ikea when we were there. Um, so they're not, they're like Ikea brand, like Sour Patch Kids basically, but they're really tasty. Um, they're Swedish and they're very sour. Um, also, 
vote, but not for Joe Biden, please. <laughs> like vote or if you're going to vote, if you're going to vote in the Democratic primary, just, just, just stop voting for men. God damn it. Just ah, do something different with your life. Do something that matters. Okay. God. I mean, I was going to ask about Mike Bloomberg. But I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Jesus Christ. No one wants that. No one wants that. Um, as for me, listeners, yeah, uh, register to vote if you haven't. Hmm. Um, we're Aside no- from the fact that he's not a real Democrat, sorry. Yeah. I'm not over it. <laughs> Bloomberg. Um, we all know I'm a Deval Patrick diehard. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Jesus, sorry. Um, You're in Colorado. What, where's the Bennett love? <laughs> oh, I forgot he was still in tech. I saw, forgot he was still only technically in the race. Um yeah, Jesus. Um, sorry. <clears throat> Excuse me. As for me, yeah, register to vote. Uh, and then... And then vote for a woman. And then also... Yes, also that. Um, check out my writing in Westward. Go to westward.com. Search for Brian Flynn. That's Brian with an I. Flynn with a Y. Um, and... Yeah, give me some clicks. You have um, you have other pieces on your personal website also, don't you? Oh, yeah. I have a personal website. <laughs> uh, FlynnComedy.com. Um, anyway, uh, that brings us to Judgment, which falls to on Zach's shoulders. Let me ask you a question. That thing about the swans attacking, did you truly forget that was a thing in Home Alone 2? <laughs> I did. It's so serendipitous that I almost, I mean, I don't think it erases anything else she did. It doesn't erase her poetry or her work. It just means I got to go with the alternate. I got it. I got it. Uh, I, tr- I looked And up. you know what? The ending is fine. In real life, she just fell down the stairs. It's fine. That's what happens sometimes. <laughs> It's tr- I mean, it is true, and it's tragic, but yeah, I did also look it's up- It's not like it's better. <laughs> no. <laughs> or worse or anything, you know, it's the same. That part's the same. <laughs> I did look up um, just like list of uh, Home Alone traps, and the- there was one site that had like the 26 deadliest Home Alone traps ranked. Wow. Um, Can you please put this on all your revisionist social media? It is, in fact, on our Instagram story- right now but that doesn't matter to people listening tomorrow <laughs> um, i'll assumedly still be there tomorrow yes um but jen thank you for being here of course i mean i'm here yeah. <laughs> it's it's still snowing i'm not going anywhere well thank you for filling in oh you're welcome <laughs> uh, zach thank you as always sure and hey uh everyone out there thank you uh <laughs> great uh, Josh Hollis for our artwork. Uh, oh yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll see you again in a couple weeks around these parts. Signing off is very hard. I've been Brian Flynn. I am Zach Powers. Uh, get along, little doggies. Let's have not- a <laughs> have a good time. <laughs> Let's not change horses this late in the game. <laughs>